One Church. It is absolutely fantastic to see you here tonight. And I am so excited to be bringing tonight's message and the fourth part of our preaching series, Gone Fishing. It is an absolute honor and a privilege to be up here. But I do have a bit of a confession I need to say. I don't feel like I can bring this message without being fully honest with you guys. It's something that's been weighing me down for quite a while. So here goes. I'm a southerner. Now, before, before you get the pitch walks out, let me explain. I was born in Hampshire, and I spent the first three years of my life living down there. But I have lived up north for 29 years, and nine of those years, I've been living in Liverpool. So hopefully, hopefully, that makes me an honorary northerner, if not a scouser. Now, I spent my childhood growing up in Lytham St. Hans, which is just a small seaside town just an hour north of here. Now, you'd think, given that it's gone fishing, I've lived by the seaside, I'd have some experience of the sea, maybe some boats. No. When I found out I was preaching this series, I was like, fishing? I don't know anything about fishing. Me and Josh once had a pond with eight fish in it. They all died. So I wasn't expecting any great inspirational message about my knowledge of fishing. I spoke to Luke and Courtney and they gave me some ideas, but still I was completely drawing a blank. You know, the hardest part for me for uh, coming up with the message is coming up with the stories. The God bit's kind of already done for you in the Bible. And me and Josh have recently come back from Corfu, and I was tempted, maybe we should rent a boat, and maybe I could come up with some story where maybe I fall out or we go fishing. But I was genuinely worried, and for those that know me, you'd understand this worry, that I would actually cause some serious harm to myself. I am that clumsy. Um, so, no crazy antics of fishing stories. But one thing did pop up on my um, Facebook, the, the time hop, and it was my pre-30 bucket list. So seven years ago, when I was living in London, okay, so I went back down south for a bit, but I'm, I'm here to stay, I promise. Um, I created this list, which was a list of things I wanted to accomplish before I was 30. And when it popped up on my time hop, I was like, what on earth was I thinking? Now, some of them I have accomplished. I am a teacher. I did live and work in another country. Some of them are just completely random. I, marathon, not done that. Um, I've no idea why I thought scuba diving or anything like that, and well, some of them become a size 10. <laughs> I don't think I realized when I was making this list how much I actually like food. So needless to say, that, that one has been scrapped. That has been scrapped. Um, but how many of us make these make plans for our lives? And I don't know about you, but when I wrote this list, my life was nowhere that I expected it to be. Um, my parents, they're here tonight, they've been together since they were 16, they got married at 20, had me at 21, hello honeymoon, um, and I expected my life to be exactly like that, but there I was, 25, I was single, I was living in London and paying an extraordinary amount for a tiny room in a shared house with a job that bored me to tears, that was certainly not the plan that I had for my life. And even now, looking back on my life, now I'm 32, looking back, I can think, wow, when I was 25, I never thought my life would be the way that it is now, and for that, I am very, very grateful. But throughout of our, all of our lives, we're always asked to make a plan. I said that I was a teacher, and I'm actually a high school teacher, and I teach RE, which the kids love me for, of course. Um, and nowadays, with the new GCSEs, our kids are asked to choose their GCSE options in year eight. 
which means at 12 years old, they have to make a big life decision. Think about the plans that they have for their lives. At 16, we're then asked to refine that. Think about our A-level options, maybe a specific apprentice. Then at 18, some of us spend 27,000 pounds on one course that will take our lives in one specific direction. Any job interview that you've ever been to always ask you, so where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Even the bank wants to know, where's your life? Where's your life plan? Where do you think that it's going to go? But what happens if life doesn't go the way that we think it to? What happens when we end up somewhere we don't expect or even somewhere we don't want? Maybe you're in here tonight and you're like I was at 25. You, according to your life plan, you should be married, you should have a kid by now, and yet you're single. You have been for years, and you've got no future plans. There's no prospects. Or maybe you're in here tonight, and you're a business owner. Things were going great to start with. You had a plan, and it was all going according to plan. You were bringing in the money. You were bringing in the um, prospects until you weren't. You lost it all. You're now in an incredible amount of debt. You didn't plan for this. Now, for those of us in here that have got life insurance, planning for bad health is just a tick box. Yeah, you tick it, you think about it, and you put it away. No one ever actually expects bad health. We don't properly plan for it, but it happens. And when it does, it derails all of our plans. It can ruin relationships. It can put a dampener on finances. What do we do when those types of things happen? They're not part of our plan. Maybe in here, you're struggling with an addiction. Now, I'm pretty sure no one in here would have planned for an addiction. We all think that we'd be the exception to the rule. Oh, I can do it once, and then I'll stop. No, no, I know I can do it a couple more times, and then I can definitely stop. Until one day, you can't stop. You're addicted, and you don't know what to do. And now, you are someone you didn't plan to be. But what do we do when life happens? Is there a way that life, when it goes wrong, can any good come out of it? And that's what we're going to have a look at today. Now, I am a massive planner. I am an expert planner. I love lists. I love calendars, organizers. You should see my, my classroom at school. I've got a big wall calendar. And even those expert planners like myself, things happen. Life happens. There is no way you can plan for ill health, for bad finances and those sorts of things. You can do your best, but life still happens. And even if you're in here tonight and you're a Christian, you think that as soon as you become a Christian, well, tick that off, life's going to be perfect now. Oh, no. And that's even more frustrating. You think that maybe you can just pray the prayer to, to God, you can go to church a couple of times, read your Bible, and life will be perfect. You never have to worry. Money's going to be a doddle. We'll always have a job. But no. It would be amazing if we could press that button and life just be perfect. But life's not like that. Life is real. It's not a fairy tale. So what do we do? How do we have hope in those dark places when life is not going according to plan? Is there a way? What if, no matter what happens in your life, whatever bad happens, what if God could work all things out for good? You know, Paul writes in the Bible, he says in Romans, we know that God causes everything. Everything. The good, the bad, the ugly. God causes everything to work together 
for the good of those who love God. He is working all good out. So when life's plans don't go the way that you expect, there is a way. God is working all things out for good. Today we're going to have a look at Paul, and we're going to have a look at his journey in the book of Acts. Now, his journey, see, it should have been simple. He had a very simple plan. But we're going to see how he got off course, got off plan, and yet God was still working in his life. Now, we find Paul in chapter 7 of the book of Acts on his way to Rome. He's been accused of a crime that he didn't commit, and he has petitioned to see Caesar, the most important person in the Roman emperor, arguably in the world. He wants to go before him and plead his case. I am innocent. Simple plan. Getting from A to B. Should be simple, right? But no. Stories like this, they're never simple. So when we jump into verse 10, we see that a lot is going wrong. So verse 10 starts like this. Paul's talking to the men on the ship. Men, he said, I believe there is trouble ahead. If we go on, shipwreck, loss of cargo, danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of uh, the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner uh, than to Paul. Now, occasionally, like Paul, we can see that trouble is ahead. We're going on along on our plan, our journey of life, and we see that there is trouble ahead. There's an issue. And occasionally, we divert. We make plans, alternative plans, to get around that trouble. But I don't know whether you're like me, but most of the time, I'm not as astute to Paul, and I go straight on into the trouble. My mom always said, when me and my brothers were fighting when we were younger, that it'll end in tears. And it always did. Every single time that we fought, it ended in tears. And yet we never listened to my mum. We completely ignored her. Now, I've got two younger brothers, and up until they were in their teenagers, it was always their tears. When they got bigger and stronger than me, it always ended in my tears. But even if we see trouble ahead, we still continue. I don't know about you, but I have no idea how I got anywhere in life without my sat-nav on my phone. It is amazing. And even now, there's a new feature where it works out that there's traffic ahead and it gives you an alternative route. Does anyone in here actually use that alternative route? I have never. I always click cancel because it's not part of my plans. I know the way that I am going and I am sticking with it. I'm not going to divert even if it saves me the trouble. I will stick on that M6 even if it is 50 for the majority of the way on the motorway. And I reckon this is exactly what the ship, the captain's ship, was thinking about. He was ignoring Paul's plans because he had a plan. Paul said there was going to be a storm, but I reckon he was hoping by the time he got there, the storm would have gone. Now, sometimes in our life, well, I can guarantee that every in your life, you're going to come across a storm because we've already looked at life is not perfect. It doesn't go to plan. But sometimes these storms, they're not caused by the devil. They're not caused by an enemy or an external force attacking you. Sometimes the storms in your life are caused by a decision. Sometimes the decision is yours. You've made a bad decision and it's caused something to happen in your world. But sometimes, just like Paul, it's a decision, someone else's decision that you've been caught up in. You told them that they shouldn't have done that, but they did it anyway and you're the one that is now paying the price. You're the one that is now caught up in a storm because of someone else's decision. We need to stop focusing on the reason why. 
It doesn't matter whose decision it was, whether it was your decision or someone else's decision. We need to stop focusing on the reasons why. Because Paul's adventure is not over. If you think that the storm was bad enough, wait till we get later on in the story. And sometimes in our journey, we focus too much too soon on the reasons. Well, why is this happening? Why am I still single? Why is this bad health? Where God is actually working, we just can't see it yet. Because we're thinking too much about why, 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 questioning all the time. Which is natural, but I ask, do we need to think about that? If we didn't know, we don't need to know the reasons why if we know the who. We don't need to know why if we know the who. If we know the who, we know that God is working all things out for good. Paul wrote it down in Romans. God is working all things, everything out for good. So we don't need to worry about the why. We just need to focus on the who. Focus on God. So if you think the storm is bad, as I was saying, it gets a lot worse for Paul. Now, the storm only lasts for two weeks, but two weeks, I suffer with really bad motion sickness. And if I was caught up on a boat in a storm for two weeks, well, that would have been the worst thing ever for me. But it gets even worse for Paul. They're just about to see land, and then a shipwreck happens. They crash on the rocks, and the boat is broken, and they end up on this unfamiliar land. And how often has that happened in our lives? How often is a storm hit? Maybe it's got worse, and then you find yourself in a place that you're unfamiliar, you're uncomfortable, you don't know what to do, the surroundings aren't familiar to you. But it gets even worse for Paul, because he's now on this unfamiliar land, and he gets bitten by a snake. He's on this land, it's now it's Malta, that it turns out, and he gets bitten by a snake. And it says in verse 3, As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous stake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. Could it get any worse? And isn't that just like life? Isn't it one thing after another after another? You think that the storm is bad enough in your life. Why is this happening to me? And then a shipwreck happens. Oh, okay, well, I can just about maybe see the good in it. And then a snake happens. How on earth can you see the good in a storm, a shipwreck, and a snake? It just keeps getting worse and worse. But Paul's not like that. Paul didn't let the snake affect him. He just brushed it off, and he was unharmed, and he just carried on making the fire. Now, the people of Malta were uncommonly kind. These strangers have just turned up on their shores, and they welcomed them with open arms, which is a bit different to how things are nowadays, So it must have taken Paul and his fellow inmates by surprise. I mean, if you think about, Paul wasn't just a regular passenger on the ship. He was a prisoner. And yet these people of Malta have taken him in. And it's actually the governor of Malta that takes him in to his home and invites him in. Now, at this time, the governor's father is seriously ill, gravely ill. And Paul goes in and he prays for him. Now, the island of Malta have never heard of this god They've never heard of Jesus. They never knew that this could happen. And Paul goes in and he prays and he lays his hand on the governor and he's healed. And the whole of Malta hears about it and rushes to the house. And all of Malta is healed through the hands of Paul. And isn't it amazing that just three days earlier, the same hand that is now healing was bitten by a snake. I just think that that is amazing that something that was meant to harm, something that was meant to destroy 
is now making Paul even stronger. He's now working for good. Something that was meant to harm you is now working for the good of people. So Paul is on this island and he's healing people. But through healing people, he's also getting the opportunity to speak into their lives about God. He's healing them, not just physically, but also spiritually. Now, this was not part of Paul's plan. He did not need this. He had enough going on in his life. He was accused of a crime that was most likely going to end in his death. He was going up in front of the most powerful man, arguably, in the world. He did not need this diversion, this distraction. But God used this mistake, the mistake of the captain, for caught up, getting caught up in the storm, God used this mistake to be the miracle that Malta needed. See, God, Paul did not need to go to Malta, but Malta needed Paul to come to them. They needed the miracle of healing, and they needed the miracle of healing through God's word. And to this day, Malta is still a Christian nation. To this day. And I just love that. The fact that God can use a mistake, someone else's bad decision, and turn it into a miracle. And just think, what is God doing in your life? What good does he want to make out of some of the mistakes that you've made? Maybe a mistake that someone else has made, but you're caught up in the storm. What good can come out of that situation? I just think that's amazing. If we think about that, what I said before, don't think and question too early in your journey because God's got a long way to go and he wants good to come out of it. There is a way to live free from worry and doubt. Sounds amazing, right? Paul, this whole story sounds of a man who is confident. He has confidence, he has hope, he's not worrying. He knew that the storm was coming the people ignored him, and yet he didn't go around going, no, come on, come on, we need to do this. He had confidence, he had hope. He knew that God was going to work things all out for good. And wouldn't it be amazing for us to live life like that, to live like life like Paul, to know that even if the storms hit us, even if we're in the shipwrecks, even if we get bitten by the snake, the worst thing that could happen to us in our life that God can still work all things out for good. But how do we live like that? So we're going to spend what we've got left just looking at three different areas of how we can live with this confident life. The first thing that we need to do is we need to rely on God. Not as a last resort, not as our ship is sinking in our world, but first, we need to trust God. We need to stop asking why. Why am I single? Why is my business failing? Why don't I have a job? Why, why, why? Instead of asking why, let's trust, just trust God. Paul did. He knew that a storm was coming. He knew that he'd been bitten by a snake. And yet he trusted God that all things would work out. It says in verse 25, so take courage. This is what Paul is saying. Take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. Now, Paul said this when he was in the middle of his storm. He could not see the end result. He had no idea that he was going to be used by God to heal Malta, to save Malta. He had no idea that that was coming. And yet he believed. He trusted. That, hold on a minute. I trust God. And I know because it says in Romans, he wrote it, um, 
that God is going to work all things out for good. He trusted that. What would our lives look like if we relied on God? How you react in your storms can also determine what God can do in our worlds. Paul didn't gloat. He didn't fixate on the problem that the captain made. The captain caused, essentially caused the storm and the shipwreck because he didn't divert his plans. He didn't listen to Paul. Now, according to the world, it would have been absolutely fine to Paul, for Paul to say, I told you so. I told you this would happen. And just focus on the mistake. But Paul didn't. Yes, he pointed it out so that he could learn from his mistakes. But then he moved on. He didn't fixate on it. So in chapter 21, Paul speaks to those in charge. Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. He's pointing it out. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives. Now, he could have just stopped with the first bit and saying, well, this is your fault. You are the ones that have done this. But he's like, no, he's encouraging them. He's building them up. He didn't keep going over and over the mistake that uh, the captain made. And don't we do that in our lives? Don't we hold grudges? Culture says that we should, that we shouldn't let things go. Forgiveness is an odd thing in today's culture. Now, I've been married for five years, and I know that that's still relatively new, but I know that when me or uh, Josh make a mistake in our marriage, it's going to affect both of us. If our finances are in trouble and it's one of our faults, you could legitimately say, well, I told you so, this is all your fault. But how would life be if we reacted differently? If we reacted instead like Paul? Maybe God is saying, stop focusing on the mistakes of others or yourselves and look at the good that I'm trying to do. Let's think about our reaction. The final way is our resolution. Not only will your immediate reaction affect what God can do, but so will your decision. You might be in your storm right now because of a bad decision in your life. Maybe it's a bad decision that someone else made, but you've got a more important decision to make. Are you going to stay in that victim mentality? Are you going to throw yourself a pity party every day when you get out of bed? Or are you going to decide right now to let God into your life, to let God work all things out for good? It's a decision to make, an important one. When Paul was bitten by the, uh, the snake, he could have been consumed by that poison. But he made a very simple decision. It says that Paul shook off the snake. Shake off is an action. An action requires a decision. Instead of holding on to that poison, he shook off the snake. He decided, I will not live with this poison inside me. And then he was unharmed. Whether good can come out of a bad situation is not just up to God. Yes, he wants to. Of course he wants to. Yes, he has the power to do it, but if you're not allowing him into your life, if you haven't made that decision to let him work, then there's little he can do. It starts with a decision. Do you choose misery or mission? Paul's life and the good that God was able to do in it, not just in his world, but in Malta's as well, started with a decision that Paul made. He decided to go with uh, mission instead of misery. 
And it was that decision that allowed God to be able to work in his life. I'd like to read a story from a child, a close childhood friend. And she's given me this permission to read this story because like you, she had a plan and it went disastrously wrong. But she knows that God is working good out of this story. She grew up with an unusual family and unusual by modern standards because her parents were still together. But they were together and they were very much in love. They rarely fought and certainly not in front of her or her siblings. She was loved by her family and she knew it. She never felt unloved, she never felt unworthy and she never felt anything other than special. She wasn't very popular at school but that really didn't bother her until the cool kids asked her to hang out with them. They were planning a night out to an infamous nightclub, and though she knew it was wrong, she agreed to go along. She even lied to her parents about it. And at the age of 16, my friend was assaulted, and she lost her innocence. This broke something inside her, and made her believe a lie that she was not good enough, and that this was her fault. She fell into an emotionally abusive relationship that lasted five years. And this relationship only reinforced the lie that she was not good enough and no one would love her properly. So when she moved to London, she believed that the only way she could get someone to love her was to sleep with them. And much to her shame, her number of sexual partners rose, as did the emptiness inside her. None of this was part of her plan, of course. This was a a storm, a shipwreck of great magnitude. It was because of a bad decision upon a bad decision upon a bad decision. It didn't have to happen. It wasn't part of her plan, and it certainly was not part of his plan. How many of us can relate to my friend's story? Maybe not in the specifics, but how many of us have been so caught up devastatedly in a situation that has left you picking up the pieces of your life? And you might be asking, how can God use this story for good? How can someone go through something like that and still come out with goodness happening? My friend didn't know God, so she didn't know to rely on him. She didn't know to trust him. She didn't know that God was going to work all things out for good. She had a very poor reaction to this. She repressed it. She pushed those people away that she loved, particularly her mom. However, exactly 10 years later, after the assaults, my friend was living in France and she met a couple that told her about Jesus. And she made a decision, a very important decision. It was in that moment that she decided to follow Jesus She decided mission over misery. And it was through that decision that God was able to use that storm, that shipwreck, and six years later is able to stand up on stage and bring you her story to know that God, to know that God can work all things, all things out for good. And I could have questioned at the beginning of my story why this was happening, and of course I did. But if I'd have just stuck in that moment, that questioning God, why, I wouldn't have been able to see this 
what God is doing and being able to use my story to bring good to other people, to let other people know that God will work everything out for good. We all make plans. This is a good thing. It's good to make plans, to have dreams, to have goals, to follow a purpose. But we must also accept that sometimes our plans are not going to work out. And I can pretty much guarantee that at some point, you're going to go off course. You're probably going to have a few storms. Some of you might have shipwrecks. And some of you might even get bitten by a snake. For those of you that are off course with your marriage, maybe you're still single, or maybe you're in a relationship or a marriage that is not what you expected it to be. What would your life be like if you relied on God? What would your relationship be like if you trusted God first? Instead of asking God, why am I still single? Why is my marriage not working out? How about you just trust God? Because he knows what he's doing. It's a brave move to trust God. But just like Paul said, take courage. Maybe you're in here tonight and you're angry. You are caught up in a storm that is not your fault. You are angry because someone else's decision, someone else's bad judgment has left you picking up the pieces of your life. Your reaction to your storm is anger. God's here to tell you, how about you change your reaction? How about instead of focusing on all of that anger, all of that pain, focusing on that mistake, you actually look for me. You look for that miracle that I am trying to do in your life. Not just for you, but for the people around you. You've been brought here tonight and maybe for some of you, it is to hear this message because you're angry and you need to change your reaction. God is saying, I'm here and I'm trying to do some good. Maybe you're in here today and you are yet to make a decision. You're yet to make a resolution to God. He wants you to know that whatever is happening in your life, he's going to use it for good. He is going to turn it around. Whatever the storms in your life, whatever the shipwrecks, he hasn't abandoned you. He is right there with you. And he's asking you to choose to trust him. Are you going to make a decision? Misery or mission? God, misery. It's a simple decision. Are you going to choose to trust what God has got in store for you? Now, this is just one story from the Bible. It's one story from Paul. He's got a pretty terrible life. And I could have chosen any um, of the bad things, the storms that were going on in his life. And every single thing that happened to Paul, he had this confidence, he had this hope, and he saw that God turned it around and used him for good. I could have chosen any of the stories from my life. And it's only since I became a Christian, since I made that decision, that I trusted God with my life, with my storms, with my shipwrecks, that I've been able to see the goodness that God is doing.